Welcome to Veterinary Advice, Animal News, and Views, the place for pets. And they're people who love them. Aw, he's so soft. Come here, come here, boy. Here is your host, practicing veterinarian, veterinary news network reporter, and host of the popular YouTube show, The Web DVM, Dr. Roger Welton. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Veterinary Advice, Animal News and Views. I'm your host, Roger Welton, coming to you from the Florida Space Coast. As always, thank you very much for joining me this evening. We have a, a very interesting topic tonight that I want, I've been wanting to spread, spread awareness about. Uh, it's about our felines and how despite the fact that they are by far the most popular pet in the country, um, we don't really see them getting uh, ve- regular veterinary care. And when we compare them to the canines, uh, who represent actually a significantly smaller percentage of overall pets than cats do, uh, we see a lot more veterinary visits for canines as compared to cats. And we want to talk about a little bit, uh, talk about some of the reasons why uh, we believe that phenomenon occurs. Secondly, why it's a very bad trend and how a lot of our felines could enjoy better quality of life and live longer uh, if they had access to better veterinary care, and uh, and also uh, talk about how we can change this. So, uh, very good topic tonight, especially for you cat lovers out there. Uh, very relevant to what I do because um, you know, again, you have the majority of people out there that that are that call cats their house pets. Yet, I see way more dogs than I do cats. Uh, you know, and we'll get into that uh, a bit further. But first, I want to get into our first email question of the night. There's four total. And as you know, I like to spread them out throughout the broadcast uh, just so you know we can uh, take a little break from what we're talking about, kind of have a change of pace, change of subject. And the first one is from a lady named Anita, and she's from Palm Bay, Florida. So she's right around the corner. Uh, Palm Bay is a little town. Uh, well, not that little of a town. It's a town uh, just south of my clinic. A lot of clients I have uh, come out of Palm Bay, and it's part of the Florida Space Coast here. Her question is as follows. Hello, Doc. Your shows are all great, but you seem to not really focus on animal abuse and animal rights much when there is so much out there that needs reporting. Is there a reason for this? Um, that's a good question, and it is true, Anita. I I do tend to keep the abuse uh, stressing and, and, and sort of awareness, uh, you know, kind of kind of minimal i really do and and it's not that i don't want it to be known and i don't want it to be reported it needs to be reported we need to know about it but what i find is that it can become downright depressing and to some degree it is news you need to get and certainly during the michael vick situation i was very very vocal during that time i was very critical of that situation and and what transpired there and certainly i brought a lot of that information out to my listeners viewers and readers but to focus the majority of my program or even a significant portion of my program to these sad, sad, sad stories, I think it it just doesn't make for a fun show. And I know it's not all about fun. You know, we, we have to take the good with the bad, and we, we need to bring awareness to some of the animal cruelty out there. Uh, but at the same time, I'm not going to report every incident that I hear about. I hear about it every day, multiple times a day. People tend to send me these links to a lot of these stories, so I have access to them. They break my heart, but I'm not out there to break your heart every five minutes. You know, I'm out there to celebrate pet ownership and help you in the pet ownership. So we do that through these email questions. We do it by presenting relevant topics. 
we're here to talk to the good pet owners out there or the ones that want to be good that may not be doing as well as they can because they just may not have the awareness in terms of knowing the right protocols to follow with spays and neuters and, and vaccine protocols and you know getting stools checked and just at-home care that can uh, better the lives of their pets and better their relationship with their pets. That's what we're here to do. We're here for the good pet owners out there, the ones striving to be good pet owners. And, of course, I'm going to bring up some of the bigger stories of animal abuse and cruelty, but I, I just don't want to make it the focus of my show. Thank you for contributing. And as a very, very, a very, very relevant comment there because it is absolutely very true and it's a very good observation. So let's move on to our kitties. Let's talk about that. So this is an interesting statistic here. There's an estimated 80 million cats in the United States. And as I said, this makes our feline friends the most popular pet in the country. Cat lovers, I'm sure you'll love to hear that. And there are more than 40 official, uh, officially recognized breeds of cats. And, and of course, there's countless, uh, countless millions not included in that tally that are barn kitties and other mixed breed felines. And of course, you know, the beloved barn kitties are loved no less than a lot of these house cats because, you know, there, there's I, I have a good friend of mine. Her name is Pat. She lives down in Malabar, uh, Florida, and she runs this this lovely, lovely stable. Her passion's horses, but her other passion is her barn kitties, and she she takes remarkably good care of them. And here in Florida, the weather is so agreeable throughout the year that uh, the the barn is actually a very well temperature controlled place. In the in the winter, it offers some really good shelter from the rain. I'm sorry. Uh, in the summer, it alter, uh, offers really good shelter from the rain and the heat because it provides good uh, shade and all that, and there's just a, a really good breeze, there's good ventilation. In the winter, of course, it provides warmth uh, when the temperatures can drop overnight sometimes into the 40s and, uh, over the dead of winter here. That's our dead of winter, by the way, a low of 40 overnight. It's lovely. Anyway, so <clears throat> a lot of those barn cats are very loved, but despite being so popular, research has shown pretty profoundly that cats actually are 30% likely, 30% less likely to see a veterinarian than our canine co- companions and that's that's absolutely statistically correct because not only do we have that observation in terms of the polls that we tend to do and a lot of the research from the veterinary universities but also I observe that quite profoundly you know in in practice as well where I see so many more dogs than I do cats and when I do see like a sick cat let's say a cat comes in 13 years old lots of times that's the first time it's ever seen a vet they brought it in only because it's sick so all those years, it's had no vaccines, it's had no no counseling as far as uh, nutritional counseling. Um, there's been no stool analysis, so God knows, you know, the parasite situation with some of these cats. And you know, it just it shouldn't be that way. They should have access to uh, veterinary care just like our canine friends do, but uh, they just don't. And and what is the reason for that? Well, because of a cat's independent nature, many cat lovers um, seem to make an erroneous assumption that they don't need veterinary care or um, are much more lower maintenance than dogs. And and cats are so very adept at hiding their illnesses, and some people will will miss subtle clues. So uh, you have this situation where you know they they just have this sort of aloof, independent kind of nature where they seem to just kind of take care of themselves. You know, I mean, for crying out loud, you don't even have to housebreak these guys. They just they're little tiny kittens. They've just, you know, they're only eight weeks old. You stick them in a litter box and they know exactly where to go. I mean, that's one of the reasons they're so popular because they're just easier. But a lot of people make the mistake of translating this into, well, they need less care than dogs. And and really, in the end, uh, they get sick just as frequently as dogs do. But here's the thing about cats. 
as I said, they're very adept at hiding their illnesses because that's what animals do. They're, they're there um, to exist in a plane of existence where they're projection or projecting this, this strength of being where um, even if they're not feeling well, they're not going to show it. They're going to suppress those signs to the best of their ability because of the fact that in the wild, animals that show weakness get predated upon. They get taken advantage of and their food gets taken away from them. So by their nature, evolution has made cats um, so that they are very good at hiding uh, you know, illness. And so a lot of cats can go quite a long time feeling quite lousy and it goes under the radar. So other cat owners have expressed concerns about the difficulty of transporting the cats, right? Um, the stressful visits to the veterinarian and, and um, you know, that that's kind of silly. I mean, I, I know that the veterinary visit is a little harder on the kitty than it is the dog, but if you do it regularly and, and it's not such an event because, you know, they, they leave the house on a on a yearly to twice yearly basis, and the cat is well socialized, you handle them a lot at home, and there's people that come in and out of your house, it's not that bad. The far more dangerous situation for your cat is not the stress of the visit, it's 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 not getting the care at all. It's not getting the proper vaccines. It's not getting the dewormings. It's not getting the the ins, uh, the the preventive medications. Um, it's not getting the good nutritional counseling. It's not picking up on that obesity that might cause diabetes down the road. It's not missing, you know, the the uh, the rotting teeth that a lot of owners are not going to notice because they may not get close enough to their cat to smell that god awful breath. Um, we're there to find these things. Uh, I find I find illnesses all the time in cats on routine standard uh, examinations that are just in for their yearly. I had a cat in the other day who came in just for a yearly, and I look at this cat, and I'm thinking to myself, this cat looks like a skeleton. She is so thin. She has lost, uh, it was, I believe it was about five and a half pounds from the previous visit the year before, five and a half pounds for, from what was a 13-pound cat. That represents almost half of its body weight it had lost. It looked bony. The owner didn't notice because all this time had elapsed. It was a gradual process. And I look at this cat and I just said to the owner, look, I don't want to be doing vaccines today. I know that's what you're here for, but I got to tell you, you know, this is a lot of weight loss. Your cat looks very skeletal to me. There's muscle, loss of lean muscle mass. And, and really, we should probably, uh, you know, I didn't really come up with much in physical examination of the fact that the cat looked really thin, but I suggested wellness blood work. And lo and behold, I found that this cat had hyperthyroidism. And hyperthyroidism is a disease that not only causes uh, a poor quality of life because uh, hyperthyroidism patients are in this sort of state of metabolic overload, um, they, it also overtaxes the kidneys, the heart. They just feel lousy and they do poorly and it, and it, it absolutely will shorten their lives. Well, you know what? Hyperthyroidism is an easy treatment. We give them a pill a day and the cat's doing really wonderful. Um, so... Things like that that go under the radar of the owner, the veterinarian can often pick up on. So this, this is another interesting statistic. Listen to this one. Um, a recent study has shown that flea infestations in cats have gone up more than 12% in the last five years, and ear infections have gone up 34%. So, you know, why is that? Well, here's another example. Had a cat in for a yearly just this week. Actually, it was just yesterday. And I'm doing a yearly on this kitty. I'm doing my examination. I find the ears are gooped up with wax and gook. I mean, so dense that I had no chance of seeing the eardrums with the scope. These ears were just atrocious. And I said to the owner, you know, have you noticed how bad these ears are? 
well, no, you know, I, he doesn't really let me look. Um, it's not really something I ever look for because he eats and he plays and everything seems fine. There you go again. You know, the owner not picking up on the situation of this cat, which was it, it had badly infected ears, and the ears were really inflamed. And when I, as I cleaned out those ears, that cat was noticeably uncomfortable. It was noticeably itchy, and it was kicking its legs. And, you know, I had to flush it out and ultimately send it home on medication. But, you know, why did that cat experience that level of disease without the owner noticing again cats are very good at fooling their owners i'm not really blaming the owner on that one this lady's a very good lady very good pet owner and she's very responsible and she wasn't for her yearly and thankfully she was because god knows what those infections could have led to uh you know superficial infections like that can actually penetrate the the, the deep part of the ear and cause all kinds of problems balance issues and and all kinds of stuff like that um the uh so, you know, getting back to the premise, routine examinations by your veterinarian, this is this is a very important thing, are the best and most important step you should take for your cat, honestly. I mean, it, it's the examination is not something we do for our health or because we want to simply bill you for something. We do it because we catch issues be, before they turn into big, expensive, quality-of-life zapping problems. Um, the other big thing is that you need, you, owners need to understand what vaccines are important for their cats and which ones can possibly be avoided too. You know, I mean, there's been a lot of movement in the past several years in veterinary medicine to understand some of the dangers of vaccines, better understand them, and not only choose the safest vaccines out there available for cats specifically, because cats are not little dogs, but also, um, you know, kind of tailor the vaccine protocol for the lifestyle of the cat. Because perfect example, a cat that does not go outside, has no access to outside, um, meaning that it's not going to come in contact with any feral or stray cats or unvaccinated cats out there, um, that cat really doesn't need a feline leukemia vaccine. Feline leukemia is not spread by casual contact. It's not spread by, um, you know, airborne uh, virus. The virus actually survives very poorly in the environment, so it requires, like HIV in people, intimate fluid transfer for transmission. And that's going to be, you know, of course, copulation, but it's going to also include, uh, you know, bites is probably the most common route uh, by which we see the spread of feline leukemia. Um, so if your cat goes in and out of the house, then, yeah, it's a very, very good candidate for um, feline leukemia. In fact, it could be life-saving because we see a lot of outdoor cats that are unvaccinated that um, that actually, you know, can die from feline leukemia. So something that we should take very seriously. But again, all this awareness comes from your veterinarian. And if you have a responsible veterinarian who's following the protocols where we we want to do right by the cat and give them the vaccines that it needs, we don't want to be just pumping it up with everything we have just for the sake of doing it. We want to make sure that particular kitty needs it. And I think that's another reason for some of these cat owners that are just, oh, I have an indoor cat. He doesn't need any vaccines. He doesn't need any stool analysis. You know, what they're doing is they're they're, they're seeing some of these reports where they can the, the cats can form some uh, tumors at, at vaccine sites with certain vaccines. Um, they're, they're hearing reports that cats can be a little bit more reactive to these vaccines than dogs. And, and there is truth in that. But, you know, what, you're, what your veterinarian is there for is to sift through the truths or the truths and the, and the falsehoods. And also, you know, they're there to answer your questions. So in my practice, for example, I am very big on using adjuvant-free vaccines. Now, the adjuvant in a vaccine 
is the substance that goes into a vaccine that lengthens its protective uh, time frame. So, for example, the three-year rabies has an adjuvant in it that gives it its three-year protective capacity. Uh, I don't use the three-year rabies in cats, or I try to advise against it. There are some cat owners that come in and insist just for the convenience of the vaccine, and I'll acquiesce to that. I'm not going to force anybody to, to abide by necessarily what I would like them to do, but for the most part, we're doing the PureVax, and the PureVax doesn't have an adjuvant. It's only going to last for a year, but it's going to cause a, a much lower incidence of, of tumor formation at vaccine sites. And even with the adjuvanted vaccines, the incidence of those tumors, they're called fibrosarcomas, and they are deadly, um, it was very rare. So it was still a much greater risk to leave your cat unvaccinated than it was to vaccinate. Um, I believe the statistic was 1 in 60,000 cats would develop uh, one of these tumors uh, from a vaccine at some point in his life, which is still, still a little uncomfortably high for my liking, and I saw a few of those in my day. But, you know, as far as uh, the vaccines that we have available now, I've got to tell you, since I've switched over to those uh, adjuvant-free vaccines, uh, specifically I like the ones made by a company called Muriel, I don't believe I've seen a fibrosarcoma on a cat, oh boy, since like 2005. So, you know, is that a legitimate fear that people have, the tumor formation because they heard about it on the animal planet? Yes, it is. But there's ways around that and there's ways to reduce that risk, doing less vaccines for the lifestyle of the cat, tailoring the vaccines for the lifestyle of the cat. So less vaccines, number one. And number two, we're using adjuvant-free vaccines. So before we expand a little bit further on this topic, I would like to uh, talk about our next email question submitted by Susan from Port Jefferson, New York. Port Jeff, uh, not too far from where I used to practice uh, in Huntington on the North Shore of uh, Long Island, New York. And her question is as follows. I have a dog that longs to be outside all the time. With cold weather having begun to set in, I am concerned that as winter approaches, that prolonged cold may be bad for him. Sebastian is a golden retriever. At what temperature would prolonged time outside be harmful? Very good question. Now, I have, I remember when I lived in Long Island on the North Shore, you got that wind blowing off the sound, the Long Island sound. It can get very, very cold and windy, and certainly that is a real concern. Now, when I was in Long Island, I had, and still do have here in Florida, but uh, had Lulu, and Lulu is a Border Collie mix, and the last thing she wanted to do was come in. She wanted to run around the yard, and she wanted to chase every squirrel that was out there and she wanted to observe everything because she was that was her passion she hated coming inside and when we brought her inside she would just sit by the door and cry to be let out but at the same time there was a fine line where um, in some of those really hot summer months it might be detrimental for her to be outside and certainly during some of those winter months I was concerned about her being outside um, I would say a good rule is for a golden retriever I'd say 45 degrees uh, or higher, is probably okay for sustained time outside. Because when the dog is outside, a golden retriever is most likely going to be pretty active. If the dog's longing to be outside, they're not just going out there to lay down in most cases and just be couch potatoes. They're there to you know, walk around, sniff. They want to uh, look at the birds and maybe chase them around a little bit, uh, have engage in some fun with a squirrel and run around. And, and so they're they're warming their core body temperature just by being active. But at the same time, as they get a little colder, if they're at around 45 degrees or higher, what they'll do is regulate their body temperature by panting less. Uh, panting actually releases body heat, so it's the way they cool themselves, so they're going to pant less uh, to to retain some of that body heat. Uh, a golden retriever has a, a pretty good 
uh, thick fur coat. In the winter, they're going to actually have an extra undercoat to protect them. So I'd say 45 degrees is a good is a good guideline. Once you're falling below 45 degrees, and especially as you're approaching freezing at 32 degrees, uh, prolonged exposure I don't think is a good idea. You know, um, you you probably don't want to go beyond you know 15 20 minutes as the the temperature starts to plummet below 45 degrees. Certainly, as you're heading toward freezing, I would go by that guideline. Below freezing. You know, then we start to get really concerned. I, I honestly wouldn't leave a dog out there for more than than 10 minutes um, at a time during those times when the temperature is going to drop. So, very good question. Glad you asked it. And we're going to go go ahead and, and answer another one before we get back to our topic. And this one is sent in from Janice of Wayne, New Jersey, and she wrote the following question: My King Charles Cavalier Spaniel is a lovely little dog that uh, has house trained well. And is perfect in every way, except she has a very gross passion for eating her own poop. She loves it so much that she will turn around to eat it up immediately after it comes out. Wow, she does love it. It makes me absolutely gag to see her do this. How can I get her to stop this? Well, good question, because this is a very gross habit, and it's a habit actually that can make her sick, because there's a lot of E. coli in stool, and even her own E. coli is not something that really she should be eating. Now, if she is... Going after it as soon as it's coming out of her orifice, then this dog has a passion for the doo-doo. Um, and I'm actually going to do an upcoming broadcast uh, from my YouTube show, The Web DVM, in the next coming weeks about this phenomenon. So certainly tune into that one, Janice, because I want to get into specifically why they do this. Um, lots of times, you know, I'm not going to really get into the whys too much right now because, again, I'm going to have a whole show about it. But... Generally speaking, if a dog loves the doo-doo, it's always going to love the doo-doo. <laughs> it's something that uh, they, they have a taste for, uh, for reasons, like I said, I'll get into in a later show on the web DVM. But um, if it's happening this young, you know, this is this is a difficult problem, but it's a very real problem. So here's what I suggest you do. Let me just give you a couple of tips. I think first and foremost, I would try a product called Forbid. Forbid is a powder that you put in their food, and you just put a small amount of it in the food. And for the dogs that like to eat their own poop, not necessarily perusing other dogs' poop, we like the Forbid because um, obviously if it's their own poop they're liking, if you put it in the food they eat, that as it goes through the digestive tract, it makes the uh, the fecal material that arises from that food with the Forbid in it, makes it less attractive to the dog. For some reason, it, it just alters the taste of it, and a lot of dogs will stop eating the, the duty. However... I, was, I find that about 30% of dogs, despite forbid, will still go after the poop with the same enthusiasm and the same gusto. So it's not a guarantee, but you know you got about a 70% chance you're going to stop the behavior. I believe you can get forbid at most pet stores, especially the big retail ones like Petco, PetSmart, and certainly you can do a Google search forbid for dogs, uh, keyword search on Google, and I'm sure you can purchase it online. You can purchase anything online these days. And uh, that's how you can try to get rid of it. Now, if Forbid doesn't work out for you, another thing you can do is once the dog puts down the poopy, kind of distract her for a second and put a little hot sauce on it, a little Tabasco. It's not going to hurt anything, but it'll get the point across. She eats that poopy with Tabasco in it. Well, after a couple of times of that, she's going to start to associate poop with hot and spicy in my mouth. It burns. And that is another way to discourage them. Dogs are very smart. If they think that the poop is going to burn their mouth every time they eat it, they 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 will stop. Most dogs will. 
Then, of course, you get your occasional Labrador Retriever that engages in that behavior, and you could put uh, habanero sauce in that poop, and they're still going to eat it because some, some labs actually like hot sauce. <laughs> Interesting breed of dog. So let's get back to our kitty cats. And we've been talking about uh, how they're they're often overlooked for veterinary care. And I just want to, you know, tell everybody that don't be one of these folks that overlooks it because, man, I'll tell you, while cats can be, uh, you know, very independent and sometimes aloof and just don't quite have that same outgoing social personality as dogs, despite that, they have things about them that are very wonderful and make them really fun. Uh, for those of you who do watch my YouTube show, um, if you haven't seen it yet, I would suggest you watch The Cat Who Loved Babies because it's about one of my own cats that absolutely has a love affair with my one-year-old baby girl. And my human baby girl, that is. And, and, and you know, actually that particular cat, his name is Forrest, at one point was very sick early in the year. He had eaten big chunks of a foam floor that we have down in my son's playroom that got jammed in his gut. And uh, GI surgery to remove the the shards that got jammed in his gut is always very scary. And we were very concerned and very worried, and we was we would certainly have mourned his loss um, if we had lost him. Thankfully, we didn't, and he's here and live and well to entertain my daughter every day. But the the bottom line is these cats are they become a part of our family, and you know, I, I want to be clear in saying that I don't think these owners are necessarily avoiding the vet care because they, it's lack of love. Quite contrary. People love their cats. People absolutely love their cats. Um, you know, and, and it's not just women, guys. <laughs> There's a lot of a lot of big tough guys out there that absolutely adore their pet cats. There's a lot of husbands out there that come in that are maybe even more concerned than the wife. Um so, 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 absolutely, they love their their animals, and I'm not accusing anybody of not loving their cats as much as they love their dogs. But because of the nature of the cats, they just think that they can fend for themselves better. Number one, and we talked about that already. Number two, people find that they the, because the the veterinary visit stresses the cats more. They're actually doing them a favor by not bringing them in for regular wellness care because hey, he's not sick, she's not sick. What am I going to stress him over a visit for when everything's fine? The cat lives in my apartment. What disease is he going to catch? Well, you know, the yearly isn't just vaccines. The yearly isn't just running the stool to check for parasites. It's also a good thorough examination. It's also having a relationship with your veterinarian so you can ask questions about nutrition. And I'll tell you what, I put all of my uh, clients through a little questionnaire. I'm not doing... I'm not trying to interrogate anybody, but I go through a little questionnaire. What's the diet? What do you feed regularly? Um, how, how have the stools been? Would you characterize them as normal? Uh, are there regular bowel movements in the litter box? Do you see regular urinations? How are the drinking patterns? Do you think he's drinking a lot uh, as of late, or are we seeing normal amounts? And you'd be amazed how just through these series of questions I ask just to get a general idea of the patient's overall health, they will say, you know, come to think of it, Doc, he actually is drinking more water. They actually think about it, and they think, yeah, yeah, he's drinking more water. Lo and behold, I run some blood work. Diabetic. Kidney failure. Hyperthyroidism. Um, there's something wrong, something we need to fix, something that would have gone under the radar if not for me asking those questions. So uh, I'm not just doing a blatant examination. I'm doing a full, thorough history. It's 15 minutes out of your life. It's 15 minutes after the kitty's life. And it it could stand to provide a much better quality of life uh, for your kitty cat. Um, one last thing I want to talk about on this topic before we get to our last email question and, and wrap up the show is there is a uh, an organization called the Catalyst Council, 
and the American there's actually two different agencies. There's the Catalyst Catalyst Council. Oh, for some reason, folks, I forgot how to speak. The Catalyst Council, all right, and it's at www.catalystcouncil.org. I'll spell that for you. That would be www.catalystcouncil.org. Catalystcouncil.org. And then there's also the American Association of Feline Practitioners, really nice organization. These are practitioners, veterinary practitioners like myself, that have uh, done additional training in feline medicine because, again, as I said, they're not little dogs. So a lot of these veterinarians just specialize in cats only and can offer a lot of insight into their health. And that website is www.catvets.com, and that's www.catv etf.com and what these agencies are doing what these organizations are doing are helping to provide educational messages to feline owners just like I am here and both groups are trying to stress the importance and value of preventive medicine for our cats and and trying to help people not overlook it and not get sort of caught into that pattern of well my cat is not nearly as needy as my dog he doesn't go outside I don't need to take him to the vet unless something goes wrong uh, we, we need to lose that mindset. We need to give our cats better care. They deserve better care. Um, so that wraps up that, that topic. And I, I really, uh, to me, it was a, a very important one to get out there because we see the trend actually getting worse instead of better in that regard because the economy is worse. So certainly um, the kitties that don't seem to have a problem in the world are going to be the ones that are going to be ignored when it comes to health care because, of course, people see their dogs as so much higher maintenance and oh my goodness if I don't take this one to the vet who knows what could be around the corner next <laughs> uh, well the same could be true for your cat so my last um, email question was sent in by Jillian of Nyack New York that would be upstate New York and her question is the following I saw your latest web DVM YouTube video about the cat who loves babies and it is very cute to see your daughter interact with the cat that does seem to love her so much. But I always cringe a little bit when I see an animal have free reign around a defenseless and precious little baby like that. Yours is more beautiful than most. Why, thank you, Jillian. I seem to think so, but uh, of course I'm a little biased. Let's continue with the question. I am sure that cat is lovely, but can we, can, can we really be 100% sure of any animal? I'm not trying to rain on your video's parade or be a Debbie Downer about the cute video, but I just wanted to hear your thoughts on this. Jillian, you're absolutely right. Um, you're not being a Debbie Downer. You are being realistic. In the end, as human-like as our animals can seem, as wonderful and loving and gentle as they can seem, they are animals in the end. And you just never know. And no, you can never be 100% sure. And when you look at that video, I would like to stress that my wife is right there. Uh, she's got her cell phone taking the video, of course, but um, the animals are never around, allowed free reign around the babies without close, close supervision. Um, I, I I do trust my pets. I wouldn't keep pets around my kids that I thought were a potential danger to them because uh, there's just too much risk, too much to lose, too much tragedy that can come about. Believe me, in practice, I hear about it all the time. And we want to avoid that. So certainly I do trust my animals, but is there 100% trust? Never. My big goofy Labrador retriever who wouldn't even hurt a flea, um, you know, if he gets his tail stepped on the wrong way or gets poked in the eye or God knows what a baby can do, um, you never know. He he may just move to defend himself. Never done it yet. Let me knock on wood. 
but but he's an animal, and no, you you can never have 100% trust. There's no such thing. Um, there's barely a such thing for 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 humans. You know, you, do you 100% trust many people in your life? I know I don't. I got a handful of people that I could say I 100% trust, but um, certainly with animals, you just never know. Getting back to my big goofy Labrador, he's 90 pounds, and sometimes he may accidentally hurt the baby because he's just walking by or gets excited about something and he just knocks her over. He doesn't mean to do it. But <clears throat> it doesn't mean she can't take a big fall and sustain a nasty head injury from it, even though he had no sinister intention. So Jillian, great comment. And, and uh, I'm with you on that. And just know that if my wife and I can help it, one of us is always closely and aggressively supervising uh, to make sure that there's no or let's say minimal potential for something bad to happen. Thank you for that comment. It's very relevant and very true. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, that's our show for this evening. I appreciate you tuning in, as always, for caring about what I have to say. And uh, we, as I said, uh, there's going to be uh, that neat episode coming up uh, in the next few weeks about the uh, why, why do dogs uh, eat poop. And um, that'll be airing in the next couple of weeks. So we'll expand a little bit on the question that was sent in by Janice from Wayne, New Jersey, as, as to why dogs will tend to do this, what what physiologically kicks them off to do it. And again, we'll we'll get into some, into some more strategies about uh, what we can do to prevent it. Um, that's going to be on my YouTube show, though, my the WebDVM. Um, as far as this show is concerned, uh, I, I haven't been really pre-scheduling episodes with topics in mind because um, as a member of the Veterinary News Network, or VNN, uh, I get fed stories all the time, and I sift through them all the time. And and I find I found myself last season where I would, uh, you know, book a show like a full week before, um, or or even a couple weeks before, that I wanted to change the topic of the show because something so relevant and important came about. So I actually like to plan the topic just within a couple days of the show. So uh, bear with me, be patient. Um, the shows will come out regularly. And uh, as far as the radio show is concerned, we like to kind of do those off the cuff a little bit. Uh, But uh, thank you again for listening, and have a great evening, everybody. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.